0: Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 31. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds." Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well.
1: Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. Uh, we've mentioned this before, but Jesus talked a lot about money. <clears throat> in fact, more about money than any other topic in, the, in, in his, all his teachings except for one, and that is uh, except for the teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Well, here today, he's talking about both. He's talking about money and the kingdom of heaven, and I figured since we're going through a series of parables, we should probably tackle uh, one of these that is, that is at the heart of some of these teachings he had in mind. Um, here, what we see uh, in this teaching, in this story, this, this parable, is Jesus is talking about how we ought to view and use money in light of eternity, in light of his coming kingdom. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at and see some very relevant, practical things for us, actually, wherever we are on our spiritual journey. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for the way you provide. Thank you so much for the way you care for us, you take care of us. Lord, for, for those of us coming in this morning, and maybe uh, we come in with heavy hearts or different challenges that we're facing, Lord, would you, would you minister especially to them, care for them, hold them? Um, but Father, for, for each of us as we, as we sit now under your text, would you help us understand what you'd have for us today? Would you give us your spirit uh, and, be, and help us be shaped by, by your word? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, today we are picking up in Luke 12, and Jesus is out and about in his ministry at this point, and the crowd has just gotten so dense that people are literally tripping over him just to be around him. Uh, in, in, in fact, he's gotten so popular, so known, that uh, people are coming with him uh, to him with all sorts of issues and matters. Now, typically, people are bringing things like, hey, I need to be healed, Jesus, would you heal me? Or they're bringing their big theological questions, uh, Jesus, would you, would you answer this? But here's a guy who comes to Jesus asking him to settle a dispute for him. Uh, verse 13 says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we all know what's going on there, right? Uh, no doubt, this guy and his brother uh, came into a very large sum of money. Probably his parents passed away. We, we don't know for sure. But there's some sort of rift between them, and he's trying to figure out. And he figures, this one brother, hey, Jesus is coming in through town. I might as well take the matter to him and get him to solve this for me. And so he says, teacher, would you would you help my brother get this worked out uh, with me? And it's interesting and uh, noteworthy to to see here that Jesus does not engage with him on this level. Uh, Jesus actually more or less dismisses it, saying, who, who, who made me to be judge over you in this manner? Um, it's interesting because Jesus could have very easily handled this dispute. The law of the day was if there were two sons, it was said to, the, the inheritance was supposed to go two-thirds to the older brother and one-third to the younger brother. So Jesus could have handled this really quickly and simply by asking a couple of questions. Well, uh, which... Brother, are you here? Are you the older? Are you younger? How much is he given? How much is he withholding? What's what's the he could have solved it pretty quickly there, but he doesn't engage at all. In fact, he he jumps to something that he cares far more deeply about at the heart level. In fact, it's almost to the point that this scenario for him exasperates him in the sense of what money does in our hearts. Notice that when he picks up to start to teach, based on this scenario, it doesn't say in verse 15, then he said to him, that is the brother, it says, then he said to them, that is the crowd. In other words, Jesus wanted to impress something not only upon this brother, but upon all of us. Just to sit in this for a second with you, how many of us would, if, if we had the chance, bring a dispute like this before Jesus if we could? Hey, my brother's jacking me out of an inheritance, Jesus, would you, would you, would you help me out here? Uh, how many of us pray that way? God, my family's jacking me here. You know they're not right. I know they're not right. You know they're right night. Please, please fix it. Um, right? Uh, this is something that we all need to think about. This is something he, he launches into in terms of teaching us all about. Uh, There's a real warning here in verse 15. He says says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's the warning. Money can hold a real power over us. Uh, Watch out, be on your guard. A former pastor of mine used to joke that uh, Jesus didn't very often use this kind of language for other sins in the Bible. He never said, watch out, be on your guard against all forms of murder. Or watch out against, against adultery, and he would say, because you know, if you're in the middle of the act of adultery, you never had a moment of, wait a minute, you're not the one I'm married to, and you, know, you knew, you know, right? But that's the thing about greed. Greed can just sneak up on us. It can just, it can just affect us in ways that we just aren't even aware about. Uh, when I was uh, younger, there was a family who came into a large inheritance of money. Uh, the grandparents passed away. And let me just say, this family was as nice, is as nice as can be. I mean, we're talking a very caring, loving family, just a family that just puts, has, has put other people first, uh, just their whole lives from, from the top down, everybody in the family. And yet, you want to guess what happened when this inheritance came their way? It was really sad. It was really sad. It ended up dividing the family in many ways. I won't go into all of it, but people using money, you know, certain family members using money in such a way that they would hope that the other family members wouldn't know, but they did know, and, you know, all that sort of, sort of deal. And, and, and I remember it left a really deep impression on me because I felt like, man, if money can have that sort of effect on them, it certainly can have that effect on any of us. Jesus says about money, watch out, be on your guard. Chances are you won't even know that it's holding a power over you. And let's be real, Jesus was saying this to first century Palestine folks. Uh, You know, a culture far less well off than we are today, of course. Verse 15, he says, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Uh, My news feed really you know, convicts me for me. I'll have my phone and I'll be going through the, the news feed and I'll notice that a lot of the things that my phone just with its algorithm figures out that I would like to click on are these things of like 10 unreal Amazon gadgets that you have to have. So, Ooh, I've always wanted a temperature-controlled ceramic mug or a self-watering plant or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, not that I know these things. Um, Life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. I mean, I'd go so far, we've talked about this in the, in the past, I'd go so far to suggest that probably we need to start with the running assumption that there is something we need to think about, that there is something we need to watch out and be on guard against. Uh, someone said it like this, if each of the brothers here had learned the real meaning of life and sought it as its chief endeavor to be rich towards God, which Jesus talks about here in a moment, the question of possessions would have settled itself. The one brother would have been eager to share, while the other would have been careless about receiving. Uh, Jesus warns us that we need to watch out, that we need to be on our guard. Uh, That's the warning. Then he tells this parable, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he goes off and he buys bigger, bigger better uh, uh, barns and storehouses to put all his surplus into, into it. And then he tells himself, self, I say to myself, I made it. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to be merry. I'm just going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And then look at verse 20. We pick up where Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Uh, This parable reminds me of another family friend growing up, uh, one I didn't know too well, uh, but I know his story. Uh, This is something like 20 years ago. He scored a very lucrative contract selling his washers and dryers at Costco. Now, if you know anything about Costco, that meant his business soared, right? You just walk through Costco, and maybe this is just me, and you just think, okay, this is the best and cheapest, so I'm buying it. I don't even need a washer. I'm just going to get it. Um, Anyways, his his business just started to soar, um, and then the year passed, and Costco came back and said, hey, we'd like to renew your contract, only this time we're going to give you half of the profits. Uh, in the meantime, this guy had been building up his storages. He had been doubling down, investing in greater equipment to do all of it. And needless to say, this new contract for him uh, gutted his his business. Now, from what I can tell, uh, he's he's doing he's doing fine. And I'm I'm not trying to dog on Costco here. I love Costco, um, but it's kind of like this story. If you think about it, this rich man here was acting very prudent. I mean, in verse 19, it says that he was looking ahead many years. He's planning. He's being smart with his money. The only snag, according to Jesus, is that he did not take into account the life to come. And he was living in such a way that he was not uh, using his material possessions towards that. Furthermore, he did not recognize where his wealth was coming from, ultimately, uh, did you notice this when we read uh, this this story uh, how Jesus opening line has a different subject matter than the rich man himself I uh, look back at verse 16 it says the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest Isn't that interesting Jesus like the main subject here is the ground uh, at least in this sentence um, I think that's Jesus' way of tipping off to us that the prosperity of this guy wasn't ultimately at his doing um, that the of his wellness and his, and his uh, success was actually an inheritance or even a gift. Uh, last week, we looked at the parable of the talents, and if you were here, you remember that Jesus taught how there, like it's like a man going away who entrusted many things to his servants. Uh, God entrusts things, trusts Things to us, including with what we have, what he's given us in order to serve him, to serve others. What we have is not ultimately our own. What we have is ultimately not for our sole benefit. Um, even if you don't identify as religious or Christian, I imagine some of this actually might resonate with you, because at the end of the day, while we might like to believe that we are a product, our success is a product of our choices and our actions— so much of that is actually based on others or other coincidental or random situations in our lives. Our success is built so much on the shoulders of other people, people that we can identify, people that we we just can't. Or if you rewind the tape just far enough back, just being born is a gift itself, let alone our upbringing, our our family networking, and all all sorts of things. Uh, Jesus says life is a gift. Everything we have, is a gift therefore i believe with this parable he invites us into a, a tr- he gives us a tremendous invitation here and that is to live open-handedly you know it seems to me that this rich man this fool if we can we can say that actually i guess god said it at least in the story uh, was living with a with a tight clenched fist right just everything is just hey i'm just going to live it up i'm just going to it's going to be for me and jesus inviting us to to start to op- open up He starts with a warning, talking about how money can have an incredible power over us without her even noticing it. But here's the invitation, which by the way, it seems to me, can begin to break the power money has over us, and that is to live open-handedly. Uh, there's this pastor who lives in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, a guy named Juan Carlos Ortiz, who wrote this really cool book called Disciple. It's a really, really helpful book on uh, the Christian faith and just walking and, and, and uh, with the Lord. Um, but he wrote about this time in which he and the elders of his church, the pastors in his church, felt compelled, felt convicted that they were living so much with an ownership mindset. This idea that everything just kind of belongs to us. And so they felt like, you know what? We need to live with with a a mindset of Jesus is the owner. And so uh, they started to teach this to their their members. And the the members all really responded. He said this, and, and allow me to read a little bit of this. Many of our members were bringing their homes and apartments to give to the church. In my country, you need to know, inflation is so bad that you don't put money in the bank. Because you will only fall behind. Instead, you buy something, anything that has a value that will rise with the inflation, meaning our apartments are our life savings. So as people were bringing these to him, he said, we didn't know what to do with all these properties. The pastors met together. One said, maybe we should sell it all and use it to buy a big church in the city. But the other said, no, no, that is not the will of the Lord. After six months of prayer, the Lord showed us what to do. We called the people together and said, we are going to return everyone's real estate. The Lord has showed us what uh, showed us that you inside, uh, excuse me, that he doesn't want your empty houses. He wants a house with you inside taking care of it. He wants the carpets and the heating and the air conditioning and the lights and the food and everything ready for him. He also wants your car with you as the driver. Just remember though, that it all still belongs to him. So now, all the houses are open. When visitors come to our congregation, we don't say, who can take care of these brothers or sisters in your house? Instead, no, we say, you brother, you're going to take care of these people in your house. We don't ask, we command, because the house is already given to the Lord. And the people thank the Lord that he lets them live in his house. What an interesting perspective. Um, Jesus invites us to live rich towards God, serving Him, serving others. He invites us to live with a stewardship mindset, you know, a, a mindset of what we have is what we get to steward for His work, serving Him, serving others. Uh, this, is how, this is how we ought to view and use money in light of eternity. Has anyone ever l- lived very open-handedly with you? Uh, I imagine if you have experienced that, you've pro- it's probably made an impression on you. Um, Current wouldn't be here today if not for a number of churches living open-handedly towards us in terms of resources. In fact, I have the privilege this week of traveling to two churches in the Texas area who have been from the very beginning of our story just really open-handed with resources in just any, any number of other ways. Just so sacrificial, so generous. In fact, one, one of these churches... I remember they had already said, okay, we're going to give you this amount for this year and that next year. And then they came across, they had an over and above gift come into the church. And instead of saying, hey, we, would like, we can use this for this thing in and, and our way, they said, we figured you're in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> you're a new church startup. You could probably use this sum of money. And I said, yeah, we, probably, we, we can. Um, in fact, this actually came on the same week. Some of you know the story that we happened to need a truck. We didn't realize we needed a truck to tow our stuff. And about the same amount that we needed that truck. Um, we've had other churches in the area. I think of Epic up in San Francisco. I think of Echo in San Jose. Churches that have an incredibly open-handed relationship with us, saying things like David, Cindy, anyone on staff or or otherwise, current family, if you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. Our staff is just completely open to you. Do, Do not hesitate to reach out. And it's, it's almost so much like a new paradigm that uh, I find myself at, at times saying, "Are you sure I don't want to keep asking, Like I don't are you?" And uh, to which they always say, "Are you kidding? Other churches did that for us?" What's more important is that what, that's what God has done for us." And one church, actually, whenever this conversation comes up, uh, they have it so ingrained in their system that it's kind of like a banner song for them. They just respond, "We just love to give because we can't outgive God." I mean, it's, it's crazy. The more we give, it feels like the more God is giving to us to give to others. And you know what that does to our hearts as a church family? You better believe it, means, it makes us want to be a church like that for other churches, uh, to live open-handedly. Um, it's because of texts like these uh, before us that we have done our impact initiative every year. Even while we are still getting up and going, not yet self-sustaining, we want to live by faith, giving into the community. We use some of the budget, church budget uh, to do that anyhow, but we want to every year, by the way, we're gonna be doing this in a few weeks' time, uh, take an over and, and above uh, offering or fund that we can give uh, to augment all our ministries in the community, helping the homeless, helping survivors of human trafficking, foster kids and families. Um, a couple of these, we're actually getting ready to do some exciting things this holiday uh, season, so be, be paying attention to that. The team is doing some awesome things. We'll, and again, we'll be launching Impact in a few weeks, so, so um, keep your ears uh, tuned to that. But how can we collectively, or how can you individually or as a family, be, quote, rich toward God? How can we live open-handedly? Uh, that's the invitation here, um, and I just can't help but think there are just any number of creative ways that we can join the Lord in this work. For instance, the holidays are coming up. How many people uh, tend to be alone during the holidays where we could maybe use some resources and invite people in, host them? I know a few of you are doing that. Um, are there ways you can host people from work, or maybe at your kid's school, either having them over or arranging park dates, whatever it might be? Or with the colder weather, are, are there different ways that we can bless those who are living on the streets? There's just any number of, of of things that we can be a part of. Um, Maybe you can take the next step in trusting God with your finances through worship here at Current. Again, we want this never to be something that is out of a sense of guilt or obligation. Our hope is that what we give on Sunday mornings is for the Lord's work, giving spiritual nourishment to the body, creating community, fellowship, giving opportunities to serve both here with one another and also into the community. Um, But this is a good reminder, texts like these, when we take the morning offering to pray that that the Lord would help us collectively and individually live open-handedly with what he entrusts to us. Um, And then the last thought here is Jesus invites us not to worry. Uh, There's there's no need to worry because because God will take care of you. He will take care of me. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, verse 22, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then skipping down to verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Uh, There's no need to worry, Jesus is saying, because God has you. As you seek his kingdom first, he will will take care of you. This is a wonderful promise, but here's the thing about this promise. I can't prove it to you. At best, I can inspire you. This is a promise by very nature we have to choose to step into and taste and see and experience on our own. It is a promise that requires trust. Um. And it's important noting here that when we trust him, Jesus is saying he will take care of us, our needs, our necessities. It's not saying he will hook it up with the finest and nicest, latest and greatest, but he's going to take care of us. This is a promise that he will take care of you uh, with the things that you truly need as you seek him, seek to serve him and others with your finances, with your possessions, and everything else. Um, which as we go and follow him in this way it's in these ways is when he takes care of us in these ways he is actually meeting needs that we would probably not otherwise typically think we need Um, it's no secret that often the world's richest are not necessarily the happiest Um, there's a lot of data out there on that a lot of anecdotes out there on that Um, there's undoubtedly many reasons for that, but Jesus says it this way, it's because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And while the rich may not always be the happiest people on the planet, often some of the happiest people on the planet are the poorest. Now, I'm not trying to vilify wealth, I'm not trying to glorify poverty, but to make the point, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus is inviting us into trusting him with it. Will we trust him? My parents had essentially, uh, as a life verse, although they never called it that, uh, verse 31 here, a a verse that has meant a lot to me uh, over the years. Uh, It's, seek God's kingdom. Uh, Matthew's account says, seek him first, seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteous, and he will add all these things unto you. He'll take care of you. Uh, For my parents, that meant parachute dropping into Berkeley to start a church. And by parachute dropping, I, I mean literally moving there without hardly any resources, Uh, living on their life savings, and by the way, having six kids in tow. Uh, One was actually in college at the time, so five at home, which I need to remind myself of from time to time when I start to complain about starting a church with two kids. Um, Anyways, why did they do that? Just because, whoop-de-doo, we're going to do it? No, no, they felt a real strong sense of calling from God. And they talked to a lot of people to make sure that it wasn't just out of nowhere, that yeah, this is something you, you should think about doing, consider. And ultimately, because they knew, they figured, they trusted, you know what, God's going to take care of us and our family. They trusted. I was reminded of this story this week because uh, somebody was asking about how I ended up in the place that I, I grew up, this home that I, was, that I was in, a very nice home. But it was a miracle story how we ended up there because when we moved to Berkeley originally, uh, we were looking at all these homes in all these uh, parts of the city in school districts that were not you know, anywhere near like kind of the, the top of the list, let alone the middle of the list, and just thinking, okay, how, we can't even afford those homes. In fact, one of those school districts I was looking at as I was getting ready to uh, you know, be a teenager in this, this area was in the national spotlight for stabbings at the school. And we couldn't afford it, so it's like, oh, boy. And so, but I'll tell you, my my parents in no glib way were just you know what the Lord's going to take care of us, and we saw the Lord do that in multiple ways, including, for instance, our getting into this home. Uh, there was a guy. There was a home that came onto the market, and my dad reached out to the guy. The guy found out that he was a pastor and said, "Hey, I'll go ahead and cut off, cut cut down a couple hundred k off the price tag." That's a miracle numerically speaking, but also in Berkeley. Usually when they find out you're a pastor in Berkeley, as a, as a, as a prideful Berkeley person, they add $100,000 to the, the price tag. Uh, we ended up in his area that was just wonderful schools and all these sorts of things. I mean, I could, I could tell you story after story about tuition being paid uh, for schools. Uh, I could tell you different things about, uh, you know, all these wonderful things that the Lord took care of. God took care of those things, but you know what the greatest thing in all of that was, maybe... Uh, Biggest miracle, probably in all of it, is that my brothers and sisters, each and every one of them today, are all each and every one of them falling hard after the Lord. If you know the statistical average for pastor's kids, you know that that's a miracle. Again, even if you're not religious. Um, And so, how do I see that? I can't help but see that being God honoring my parents' choice to follow the Lord, seeking His kingdom first. Now, is what we're saying here, if you do that, God will get you good schools, pay for the tuition, you know, these schools and seminary, which is even more expensive than regular school, you know, all these sorts of things, you know. Uh, and then if you do this, you know, your, your kids will follow. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying, actually, what Jesus is saying, though, is seek his kingdom first, and he's going to take care of you in the ways that you truly need, in the ways that you, that you really need. Uh, That's the invitation. But this is only a promise that you can can taste and see for yourself because it's based on trust. It's based on worship. Worship. Trust. Why should I trust this Jesus guy? You should trust this Jesus guy because he not only taught these things, he lived and died them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is though he was rich, he became poor to give us true riches in himself to restore our relationship with God the Father. The gospel is Jesus left as much wealth as you or I could ever accumulate and more in heaven to come and live among us, and by the way, to live among us poor. And then, if you talk about living open-handed, I don't care what page of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you just kind of pick a page by random, stick your finger down, look at a story of Jesus, you see Jesus living open-handedly with each and every person he came across. Uh, just constantly pouring out of Himself to serve His Father, to serve others, to care for them. Uh, That is what He did for us. And this is what He invites us into. As we put our faith in Him, He has made a way available back to Him possible. That's the truest, greatest riches we can talk about here. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is because of what he did for us on the cross, dying for our sins, we can have a a relationship made new with our Heavenly Father and live with him forever and have life even now. Um, But it doesn't just remain there. He then invites us into sharing these true riches with those around us. Um, And actually, we have this thing called earthly money to help us do that. Uh, Money isn't all bad. Possessions aren't all bad. Um, it, c- it can be used for much good, but there is a warning to watch out, to guard against, to at least just do some hard work and think about it. And then there's also this wonderful invitation to live open-handedly. Uh, maybe it's just releasing our, our tight fist grip just a little bit and opening up and finding our ways to trust Him for our security and to follow Him because the promise here is He'll take care of you. He'll take care of us. Current family, that's been our story. We wouldn't be here today if him not taking care of us. Um, But may we be a church that gets to him through us, take care of others. Let's trust him, let's seek him and his kingdom first and watch him move. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the way that you have entrusted us with, with, with a lot. First and foremost, not with possessions, but with your gospel with the good news of Jesus, that we can have life in you, that those we, are, we work next to or live next to or go to school next to can taste and see that you are good. Father, would you help us use our material possessions towards that end to serve you, to serve others, to take care of some of the needs in our immediate area and, and around the world. Lord, would you help us as a church really live this out by faith in trust because of who you are and what you've done for us and what you call us into.